It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in here to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday. It's 1 o'clock. We're live, and if you happen to be tuning in live, well, welcome. And if you're one of the many people that come in after the show, we appreciate uh, you checking out the podcast or uh, on iHeart. So if this is the first time you're ever tuning in to Talent Talk, let me give you a little rundown on how it works. Um, I generally have two guests on the show, and we really like to talk about things like talent recruitment, management, leadership development, company culture, employee engagement, and just all the fun things around how do you help people be more talented, uh, how do you, uh, maybe what are some of the secrets that really talented people are doing to, you know, to be successful in their lives every day, and, um, you know, as I kind of have this opportunity of, of meeting so many inspiring leaders all the time, I thought, what a better way to do this is to have us on a, a radio show, let us have a little conversation, and hopefully as you tune in each week, you'll learn something new, something hopefully important that will help you in your own career in a positive way. Uh, again, we do the show live, but uh, most of you come in after the fact uh, on iTunes or iHeartRadio and, and listen uh, after the show's already been recorded and it's in a podcast uh, format. Y- you know, so really is this focus being that uh, show being the focus of trying to, to learn some, some additional things, some new things, or maybe... Uh, really reinforce some of the things you did know uh, about how to manage, about how to be successful, and and we'll try to try to get that with our, our guest today. Um, as I mentioned, we are live here every Tuesday, and we've amassed such a great following. I really appreciate everyone tuning in live, tuning in on iTunes and iHeart. We had over six hundred thousand of you come in last week and listen. Uh, just a big thank you to everyone who's showing up regularly. Uh, if you happen to be listening live, you can tweet uh, my guests and myself. Uh, any questions you might have on Twitter, you can send it to at peopleg2 and use that hashtag talent talk. My producer Mike will try to feed me in any questions you have. If it's after the show, we're always on Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. I'll be happy to to respond. So you know, my first guest was supposed to be Cynthia Hisk, is a chief human resources officer for Cars.com. Um, we're having a little bit of a difficulty in locating her. I'm not sure what happened, if there was an emergency or what have you. So uh, we are really uh, want to give a big thank you out to Bob uh, Keller, who uh, was our, first, our second guest lined up, but he agreed to come, come on here first, and we'll see if we can't hunt Cynthia down. And if, if not, well, then it'll just be no problem. I think you were talking to Mike, our producer, but, um, yeah, um, uh, this is Chris. Just so, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Yeah, that was yeah. on to Mike. No problem. It's great to be so, back. Glad to have you on again, and uh, you know, Bob is the founder and president of Employee Engagement Group. Um, as a reminder, you know, go, go ahead and tweet us if you have any questions. But Bob, why don't you remind everyone a little bit about yourself, what you do, 
what your company does, um, you know, kind of what, what, what's the 411 on, on everything you're doing? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a lifelong uh, talent management, human resource, organizational effectiveness practitioner, so I spent many years on the corporate side in almost every every job you could have uh, uh, within the you know HR, talent, uh, learning side of things. Uh, last job uh, on the corporate side was in 2009, where I was chief HR officer for a Fortune uh, 200 firm, um, and I decided to um, turn the page to a new chapter, and I wrote my first book, Louder Than Words, 10 Practical Employee Engagement Steps, uh, and that did uh, very well. People started asking me to speak on the book. Uh, people started asking me to uh, consult, uh, and before you know it, uh, that led to the formation of a, a firm that is a just a great group of people that I am honored to work with every day, and we do everything from employee engagement surveys. I've now written five books, including my latest, I Engage, Your Personal Engagement Roadmap, uh, and we do uh, everything from... Uh, personal assessments, employee engagement surveys, engagement workshops, uh, and really travel throughout the entire world uh, helping companies move their employees from potential to performance. Well, and it sounds like you and I might be able to have a good conversation offline as well. I'm proud to announce that I'm going to be writing my first book, so I'll definitely need some pointers and help from you on uh, how you got through that. Congratulations, um, <laughs> Chris. Uh, as I tell folks, uh, you know, my editor told me when I first wanted to write a book, she said, so many people think they want to write a book, but what they have in their head is a white paper, not a book. I mean, you yeah. know, you're literally writing hundreds of pages, so uh, it's not for the faint of heart, but it certainly is rewarding upon completion. Well, I'm looking forward to the journey, and we'll we'll see how it turns out in the end. Maybe it end just being white paper, but uh, anyways. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, as a president and founder of a company that really focuses on employee engagement, which is one of our uh, favorite things to talk about, um, you know, what 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 are some of your best practices been in the area? Um, you know, kind of throughout your career. I mean, I know it's a focus now, but what are, what are some of those things that you've always kind of gone back to as go tos as best advice for employee engagement? Yeah, um, probably probably three focused areas, uh, Chris. Um, number one is to make sure you have crystallized the behaviors and traits that define your culture, so that you can make sure you're hiring the types types of people that'll be successful. You know, people often think that, hey, you know, we need to focus all our time, energy on engaging the employees we have and creating a great work environment to hire new people uh, without truly evaluating, you know, what is the employee value proposition? What is unique about us? And how do we kind of identify those unique behaviors and traits that really, uh, you know, will allow us to hire the types of people that will excel here. So the person who's going into the Marines is a different type than the person who's going to work for Southwest Airlines, who's a different type of person than who will excel at Starbucks. So really knowing your employee value proposition will help you identify um, the types of people to succeed in your firm, Chris. So that's that's kind of the point number one, you know. I've joked with, uh, you know, new clients every now and then, hey, good news, you don't have an engagement issue, you have a hiring issue. So, you know, to really be true to your, you know, hiring compass, the types of people that you should be hiring that will be successful in your firm. Yeah, um, it, it's a really important point that I think, 
a lot of companies don't think enough about or at least don't put enough weight into that you need to find that right person at the right time um, to do the right job and there's so many times I have hired people and thought you know well how come they didn't work out their other job you know and it was well maybe it wasn't a good fit they weren't doing work that was put them in a positive light and I've also had people that you know they were smart and they were uh worked hard and yet they were just the wrong person they just didn't fit into the job and it's just you know you have to find those qualities those strengths at the kind of that convergence right of hitting them at the right point because you know it's another reason why people may move on to other jobs and that's okay and you know as they grow or they change and things things change but you're really kind of highlighting a really good point here about you know, Finding those personality types uh, that really fit in for what's happening right now. It, it, that kind of summarizes you know, that correctly. A great, um, a great and easy to remember acronym. Uh, best B E S T. We tend to focus on when we hire uh, the E and the S, and you could even say E squared. So you're looking at education and experience, and the S is skills. And we tend to overlook the B and the T, which are the behaviors and traits. But if you think about your life, uh, usually you're not firing someone because. You know, if it's an accountant, they can't add. Usually you're terminating someone because they have some behaviors that aren't working within your culture. You know, maybe they're a non-team player or they're arrogant uh, to, you know, to internal stakeholders uh, for whatever the reason. So if you think of that, you know, that acronym of BEST, B-E-S-T, it's the B and the T that really are very unique. And, you know, on the hiring side, we tend to hire easy. You know, we really do. Uh, and, you know, if you if you hire hard, you'll live easy. If you hire easy, you'll live hard. So how do you put more effort into, you know, behavioral-based interviewing so that you're truly giving yourself a better probability that the employee you hire uh, will be ripe for your culture rather than just filling an open wreck? And so are there some maybe specific ways that uh, companies can, can do this? I mean, are there some... Yeah, I, you know, I'll tell you what's a really easy, uh, quick little exercise that I do with leadership teams often. I will ask the leadership team uh, to write down the name of 10 superstar employees that work for the firm, and they have to come up with the names of people who don't report to them, so people in some other department or business unit. And then, you know, generally this is a confidential type of offsite with a leadership team. Then I ask them to post their names on flip chart paper. And then, you know, just picture 15 leaders all uh, writing the names of 10 superstar employees. And then I ask them to, okay, now look around the room. Where are the names that are repeated? And then as a facilitator, you kind of walk around the room and you circle the names that show up on multiple flip charts. And then you look at this kind of group of people that everyone seems to think are, well, these are all great employees. Like these eight people were identified on like six different flip charts. And then you look at the eight and you say, well, what do they have in common? Why are they so successful here? And as you start peeling away the competencies uh, and the behaviors and the unique traits of these folks, you start coming up with an idea of, hey, if we hire more people just like them, we'll have a higher probability of, of having more top-performing employees, and I would argue a, a higher retention rate. So it's a really simple exercise. It's powerful, and it really is a aha for the people in the room. 
Now, is there any sort of pushback on that as far as, you know, not every position can have those types of personality types, or are those the people that, you know, people tend to like the best because they're the most enjoyable to work for? I mean, how do you temper that with who's actually the most effective, who's getting the most amount of work done, who's selling the most stuff, who has the highest customer satisfaction ratings? You know, how do you, do you have to kind of temper some of that stuff? Yeah, you know? Um, you know, great question, Chris. And, you know, some of it would be related to, you know, job function, right? You know, there are some traits for the CFO that might be different traits than for the sales director. Uh, but uh, successful organizations build their employer brand around certain special traits that are unique to them. So if you think of uh, think of Nordstrom's, um, when people hear of that brand, they think of customer service. It's not by accident. Even if they're hiring people in their accounts receivables department, they have to have this customer service orientation. So that is, you know, unique to them. Creativity, unique to Apple. You know, competitiveness, you know, unique to IBM. So, you know, having, having these uh, traits uh, become kind of universal. But my experience, when you do the exercise with a leadership team, uh, you start seeing things like collaboration come out. Uh, teamwork, a drive, you know, winning personality, optimist. So you start pulling these traits out and you say, okay, as we go forward, how do we build in behavioral-based interview questions so that we're hiring more people that have these traits? Now, it's not easy to do. It's easy to identify who the people are. It's not easy to then take that and kind of weave it into your hiring practices. But I think that is such an essential step uh, to engagement because, again, you know, the people that will be very successful working for Zappos uh, probably won't be the same person to enjoy great success at a more traditional firm like Raytheon, you know. So it's a uh, important step, not easy, but uh, great, uh, great hiring su- success if you can pull it off. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot that goes into it. And, you know, I mean, to be fair to, to people that are out there hiring every day, uh, applicants generally put on their absolute best uh, version of themselves as they're going through that process. Um, and so you have to be pretty diligent about the questions you ask and who you talk to and, and how you figure all that information out and if that really does work. But I think the broader point here is, is that what you're saying is identify those things that you want from people because you can't hire for the right people if you don't have any clue about what that right person looks like for you. Yep. Um, yep. And teamwork and collaboration may be the number one and two things that need to happen. I know in our company, things like ideation are really important. You know, be able to take a lot of ideas and be able to figure out what's really the one thing we need to focus on here. That's a valuable skill in our work every day. So yeah. it's important to, to think about those things. You know, um, I uh, spoke alongside Thomas Friedman a few years back, and he talked about the combination of passion and curiosity Trump's EQ, uh, will trump IQ for lunch uh, in this era of technological speed, you mm-hmm. know. And I've shared that with uh, clients and audience folks that, hey, if you think about it, you know, hiring people who have this blend of curiosity and passion, you know, they can hunt down the answer. They can hunt down uh, the solution. So how do you weave uh, those two very powerful, you know, attributes into your hiring? 
Well, very often that's hiring for potential versus experience. Uh, you know, if you have someone who has that great potential to do to do well for you, if you can identify that. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, on the flip side, are there some areas where you see some pretty common failures by companies when we're talking about employee engagement? I mean, what are some of the the basic things that companies are just getting wrong on a regular basis. Yeah, you, when I mentioned that, you know, there were three top things, uh, Chris, and the first being on the hiring side. Uh, you know, the second one really gets right at what you just asked, and it's underestimating the importance of people who manage people. And we tend to take the individual contributor who uh, is really good as a nurse, so you're a really good caregiver to patients, and then we promote that nurse to manage six nurses. Well, the behaviors and traits and skills necessary to be a manager of people is very different than those that are required to be a very successful individual contributor as a caregiver. But almost in every industry that I work with and every client that I work for, uh, we tend to, you know, promote based on experience or tenure. So, you know, last person standing, so therefore they'll manage the six people that are remaining without really uh, evaluating if John Smith or Mary uh, Jones have the competencies to be a successful manager of people because, you know, the adage that you leave, you know, bad managers and you join good companies, you know, is as true today as it was 25 years ago. You know, I like to say the number one driver of engagement is also the number one driver of disengagement, you know, the relationship with your boss. So, you know, making sure that the people that you entrust to manage people, you have carefully selected them, either on the hiring side or the promotion side, and you're providing ongoing development support because that is such a key leverage point in the world of engagement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's, 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 it's fascinating how many people leave just because of a boss, not because of pay, not because of the work they're doing, not because of so many things, but because they're boss and we don't, or our direct manager, what it may be, and Yet we, we seem to spend so – companies, and when I say we, companies in general seem to spend so little time and energy in in that, and it's so very, very important. Well, you've mentioned your books, and I know you're a, a great author, uh, but I'm always curious what other people are reading when they're not uh, working on their own stuff. Is there a book that you're reading right now or that you recently read that you might share with us? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I just finished it. Uh, it's not an easy read, um, but I suggest – Anyone um, who is interested in this whole topic of leadership, um, it's called Team Arrivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. It is a it is a thick book, um, and again, it's not an easy read, but it's about uh, the story of Abraham Lincoln uh, picking his cabinet uh, after becoming our sixteenth president. Uh, and it is a terrific leadership book, uh, Chris. Um, the movie Lincoln um, was based on one small chapter. Uh, of this book, um, but you know, especially given what's happening with you know uh, the change in presidents um, and the selection of the cabinet, it is a terrific book because Lincoln selected uh, people that 
were very different than themselves, which is such a great leadership lesson, right? You know, it's that diversity of thought. So he brought in the people that were running against him, who were, who were in essence, you know, in the adversarial camp, uh, because Lincoln recognized that true innovation comes from people who think different. It is a it is a terrific book, uh, probably one of the five greatest books I've ever ever read. It's timely because I just finished it. Uh, yeah. uh, and again, it takes a while to read. It is not uh, for the faint of heart. The other great book uh, that someone recently uh, passed on, and I'm about halfway through, uh, it's called The No A-Hole Rule um, by Robert Sutter. Uh, and it is such a fascinating book for anyone who, you know, is into the talent management space because we all know when you, you know, have the, uh, you know, the organizational jerk uh, and how do you tolerate that person or what do you do with that person because they can be such a uh, drag on, you know, organizational morale, engagement, culture. Uh, So this is a terrific book that gives kind of, you know, it outlines, you know, what do you do with that person and how do you move from a culture where you tolerate it to a culture that you don't. Uh, and it's, you know, again, I'm uh, halfway through it. Someone recently gave it to me, and it's a, it's a terrific read. Well, I love that you mentioned Team of Rivals. We read that book uh, maybe about a year ago in my book club. And uh, most of us did the abridged version, which was still incredibly long. Uh, so you, you can do the abridged version. And it skips some of the letters that he wrote and stuff like that. Yep. Um, but uh, I, I love that book. It was fascinating. I didn't to be honest, it kind of showed me how bad Lincoln was in a lot of ways. I just, we sort of put him up on a pedestal in many different avenues. And he, in my opinion, he really was terrible managing his generals for a very long time. And uh, you can kind of see what how that resulted. And it took him a long time to really uh, kind of kind of get his groove going and figure out how he was going to do all of this. And uh, You know, I think he uh, suffered... Um from being a really, really good person, right? Um, and I think sometimes, you know, uh, from a leadership standpoint, you know, you can't please, you know, all the constituents. Uh, uh, and I think, you know, it took him a while to kind of, you know, perhaps make some of those uh, tough um, but critically important decisions. A third yeah. book, just to give a shout-out to, uh, it's kind of a practical book for, uh, folks who are in the uh, facilitation uh, team building space, it's called Thinker Toys, uh, and you would like this, Chris, given you know the whole innovation theme of your firm. Uh, and it's a handbook of creative thinking techniques. It's uh, by Michael. Macalco, uh, and it's a great way of uh, introducing some great team-building ideas, exercises, tools, and templates uh, to unleash some creative thinking. Uh, it's a terrific read. It's you know sits on my desk, and before I do any on-site workshop, I always go through and, and pull out a new idea. Well, Bob, I really appreciate you being on the show. Those are fantastic ideas. A reminder, everyone, we'll have those on the website in the blog uh, recap. Um, last question, Bob, because we got to run and get together guests, but how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more or working with your firm? Yeah, um, well, for starters, I'm doing a global webinar tomorrow, so uh, folks can go on employeeengagement.com. Uh, that's my website. Uh, all things engagement. It, it tells the world what it is we do. Uh, it's a link where my latest book, I Engage, uh, uh, it's pretty you know, easy to find, uh, you know, as well as in bookstores, on Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon. Um, but it gives... Uh, Lots of information. We archive the latest articles, research, uh, videos, 
you know, my new video, Chris, uh, Why Is Your Boat Still Sinking, uh, was just released two weeks ago on YouTube. Uh, so it's a great, fun, three-and-a-half-minute video that helps define engagement and gives some of our new thinking on engagement. So I tell folks, if you're looking for me, you can find me on employeeengagement.com, uh, and it truly is a great resource for all things engagement. Fantastic. Well, again, thanks, Bob, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And we'll be back after this quick commercial break. We've got uh, Cynthia Hiskis, Chief uh, Human Resources Officer for Cars.com, coming up right after this. Okay, thanks, Chris. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Don't forget, you can go to TalentTalkRadio.com and find all our past episodes there, as well as iTunes and iHeartRadio, where you can listen live uh, to any of the past shows. So uh, let's so glad we were able to get uh, Cynthia, who's the uh, Chief Human Resources Officer for Cars.com on the show. It took us a little juggling, but we got her here. So, Cynthia, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, your career uh, in sort of getting to where you are in HR, and, of course, um, you know, really what your, your company focuses on. Sure. I have spent a little over half of my career in HR, and I'm currently at Cars.com as a chief people officer, as you um, indicated, and and it's a great it's a great role for me. I've been here for about a year and a half, and our company is digital advertising. What we basically do is through our website and mobile platform, we connect owners and buyers and sellers of cars with each other and provide them content and information so that they can make good choices and buy and sell to each other and kind of overall help people win. Um, which is our stated company purpose, helping people win. And, and that really resonates with me. It's something that I've always kind of gravitated to um, in my career, regardless of where I've been working or what role that I have been in. Well, uh, and that's, uh, you know, it seems like we have had the good fortune of speaking to a lot of people in HR that kind of maybe settled into the role that maybe was kind of right for them. And it sounds a little bit about like what's kind of going on with you that kind of found the a really good role for you and a good company where you're happy at. Um, you know, as you've you've held positions in operations in HR and you know, in businesses, um, kind of a wide range portfolio, but all circling back yeah. around that key of getting the most out of the talent around you. So, what is it that you have found as some of the most effective ways to get the most out of those who you manage and interact with on a regular basis? Sure, I think, um, and and I think I've I've learned and gotten better at this over the years, which I I hope is true. Um, but I think it's really about understanding what is important to people, um, what they what they value, what they aspire to be, and then helping them connect 
those values to the work that they're doing. And in order to do that, you really want to be good at asking questions and listening a lot and then finding those nuggets and seeing how they react and respond to the ideas that they have and the solutions that they bring forward and then helping to kind of nurture those and move those and grow them into something that is meaningful for them and also meaningful to the business. So, you know, I think regardless of the role that I've been in, um, coaching and managing and helping inspire people has always been a component of that role. And, um, and I think that is how you, spending time talking with them, helping them explore and learn more about themselves is how you help do that. Yeah, and, and it can always be a challenge or an opportunity might be a better way to put it, but um, sure. in kind of getting those right people. And, and really, as you kind of grow yourself into a manager and a leader uh, in your own, anyone's career who's listening, it does tend to get a little bit easier to kind of figure, start to figure some of those things out. Um, you know, when you're creating solutions that really balance business objectives with companies' values and culture, which is really mm-hmm. something we hear a lot from our, our kind of our HR guests that it's something they're doing on a regular basis. What is it that's important to remember to ensure that maybe that all the pieces can actually fit together um, when you're trying to create that, you know, effective solution to, to a problem or with your product or your offering? You know, how do you kind of put those things together? Oh, I think, um, you know, you mentioned the word culture, which is, uh, you know, somewhat nebulous and I think hard for people to find. Um, I think a good culture, and people define it differently, but I define a good culture as one that um, is aligned with and helps to drive the business strategy to deliver results. It's actually, you know, by nature of a good culture, you're getting more performance out of the organization than you would if it were in any other culture. So it's kind of a little bit of, you know, the magic, the magic, the secret sauce, the some, something that differentiates you and sets you apart. And how you really get that magic, I think, is being able to identify what are the behaviors within the organization that are defining that culture. And I know I've seen, as I've been involved with organizations who are going through significant change, that becomes a time when culture is always challenged. So, for example, we are moving to um, a different a different place in our evolution as an organization. We're going to be an independent public company. While I've been here, we moved to being part of a public company, and now we're going to be standalone. And that starts to put um, on the organization some additional pressures and, uh, like you were saying, business challenges and objectives. And oftentimes that looks like uh, we're going to be more bureaucratic and there are going to be more rules and there's going to be more processes. And then internal to the organization, the people in the culture then feel threatened. And um, and so to get back to your question, how do you you know how do you balance those two? Well, I, I think what you do is you look to what are the things that are really va- what are the values of the organization. So I'll give you an example. If the organization values loyalty, in in at a certain time, they value loyalty and how they express that and how that is um, interpreted by people is by them staying with the organization. So that certainly was the case with where I am right now at cars.com. So it meant that when people left the organization, people were actually mad that people left the organization. Well, as we've grown up and as we learn that people move and grow and they find different opportunities at different places, we don't have to be mad about that. 
um, we can actually be happy for them to be moving on to another place. And we, we value loyalty the same, but we just express it in a different way. So now we've done things in terms of reaching out to people. We want people to, when they leave cars.com, to be, continue to be an ambassador of our company. So it's a way that you can maintain those values. They just manifest themselves differently from a behavioral standpoint. And I think that's why your culture is constantly changing. It's a dynamic, a good culture is constantly changing. It's a, it's a dynamic thing that you continue to align against your strategy in order to get the most out of the, the people in the organization. And it's always directly affected by those people that you allow to be in the organization and impact it as well. So Absolutely, right? So you want to yeah. honor that and take that, yeah. Yeah, and we were just uh, just talking with Bob a minute ago. I mean, it was about having the right people at the right time and the right seat on the bus. And, you know, to that point, there are times when people do need to move on because they have another opportunity that's good for them or maybe it's the right time for them to do something different. And, you know, loyalty is great, and it's great to have people with you for a long time. I've been very fortunate to have a lot of my staff with me for a long time. But you also don't want someone to stick around because they're a C player. And you also don't right. want someone to stick around and be miserable out of loyalty if really they had another opportunity that's better for them and their families. So um, it's Absolutely. always that kind of, I guess, a tough mix uh, in, in trying to balance that for everybody. Because um, we never really want to lose people, but sometimes that is the right the right thing to do. It, it, it did I kind of summarize that for you? Is that it, what you were no, saying? It, it does. It does. I think it's the right thing to do. And in the organization, I think our responsibility from a leadership standpoint and within the organization is to be clear on, you know, what's important and where we're going and, and who we are. And if you can establish that identity, it's then much easier for people to decide if this is a place that they want to come to work or if it's a place that they want to continue to work. And, um, and that's just a very kind of adult and mature way of empowering the organization and individuals to, you know, to be engaged. But oftentimes I think we decide that we want to be everything to everyone, and, um, and that's usually just not as effective. Right, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it can be horribly ineffective, right? <laughs> yeah, you really kind of dilute everything, right? Everything becomes like just generic or everything becomes plain vanilla, yeah. Right, right. That just doesn't work. It's 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 like that old adage of you know, do you treat everyone the same or do you treat everyone fairly? Which is not necessarily treating everyone the same. So, can have the well, same blanket policy for everything and everyone. It just doesn't work. Absolutely, uh, and that becomes, I think, really challenging as organizations grow. Right? They they we all fear that we're going to lose well, that personal touch, that custom like nature. So, one of the challenges that we have, you know, at least in in, in our organization, is. How do we establish systems that are scalable, but they don't feel so, they're not too mechanical. There's some element of customization that we can provide people so that it is unique to them and it meets their needs, yet at the same time, it allows us to maintain some consistency and some scalability. So it's the same point. Right, right. Well, I know you were previously the CHRO over at uh, uh, Fiera, so... Yeah. And you... And, and you had kind of really worked on designing and building their entire HR function. When I had kind of saw that, I thought, you know, that's either like the best thing ever or the most terrifying <laughs> thing ever to have to go in and kind of build something that big from, from scratch. So maybe what were some of your the highs and the lows of that process that, you know, sure. you can remember? Well, it's funny that you say that because I think I'm not sure if it's better to build or to remodel. Um, I think each of them have their each of them have their challenges, um, and what's and and I've done both 
building and remodeling of organizations and, and physical homes um, over time. And what I found is most important in both of those situations is that you are you're clear on your vision, but you're not what do I want, but you're not beholden to it. So you want to be clear on where you're going and, and what that looks like when you kind of when you get there, but also understand that as time passes, you will learn more and you will get smarter and allow yourself a couple things. Allow yourself to refine your vision because you may learn something that you didn't know before. Things could change because you're not, you know, you're not living and you're not creating this organization in a static environment. So you want to continue to be flexible. Um, and the other thing is you, you need to invite people along to help you in delivering that vision. One, because your job as a leader, or I actually you know, saw my job as a leader, we're bringing all these individual pieces together, not necessarily to be the subject matter expert of any one of them. So my subject matter expertise is really bringing people together and then allowing them to do their thing to build out their particular functions and then just making sure we were knitting together the fabric. So when you're building something from the, from the ground up, there's more energy, I believe, that you need to spend in educating people around you who are your stakeholders um, that may not know and understand. And then you have to spend a little bit more time doing some of your own legwork. Um, those are the challenges there. The challenges, I think, in remodeling are to, um, you know, it's change management. It's kind of breaking some old habits, um, helping people understand and influence them into a different way of thinking. So um, they each have their challenges, and I certainly experienced um, those in both of them. But I, I think in general, the, the playbook is essentially the same, and that's uh, be clear on your vision, allow yourself some flexibility to learn and get better along the way, and invite people to help you deliver it. Yeah, and those are uh, it's a really good kind of framework that you, you've listed there. You know, one of the things I also noticed in your background was some sort of when you mentioned talking about hard data and intuition. And can, maybe can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about your experiences and looking at those two things and how you've been able to use those in your career to maybe strike a balance in finding the right uh, right decision uh, for the right problem? Sure, sure absolutely. So um, uh, I, I will say that I... I graduated with a degree in engineering, and I spent the first 10 years of my life in operations at Procter & Gamble, which is a very um, database, data-driven organization. So I have some decent practice. I had some fantastic training from some really sharp people that helped me um, understand and use data in a responsible way. So I think um, data is super important. It's really um, it's really helpful, and you can usually find data to support any kind of story you're trying to tell, which can be very comforting and can be a little bit frightening at the same time. Um, I think what I have what I have found is sometimes data can be um, the presence of data allows us to sometimes turn off our brain, and you don't want to do that. So that's why I say it's really important to use both data and intuition, because if you see if you see data. You see something that says, this is what, let's me, let me pull one out. You know, this is what my cost per hire is. And you're like, huh, well, that doesn't seem right. Well, if it doesn't seem right, you know, if your gut is saying that seems too high or too low, it probably isn't. It probably means there's some other complementary data that you want to dig and look for in order to better understand what that initial piece of data is telling you. 
And I think that's that's what I mean when I say balance those two, um, because most of the time there is more than just one silver bullet or one piece of data that helps you tell your story. So as um, we use data and we have more information more available to us, um, it can be really helpful. It can also really paralyze us if we don't know how to process it and how to use it. And I think intuition and storytelling is really helpful to be able to use that data to make decisions and stay um, stay grounded, but then also influence direction in the organization versus just be paralyzed by having a bunch of data and scorecards. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it, intuition very often is sort of based in fact and data. It's just we're not able to really figure it out. It's not. It's our sort of our subconscious has done that for us. And so, to your point, digging a little harder, looking for that other data that may be out there to help justify it and figure out where, where it's really coming from is super important. Because I know some of the best decisions I've made and chose not to make were really based on intuition. And I, and I'm a pretty big facts guy and data guy. Yeah. And I like to look at measurement things, but there have just been times when you just knew which direction you needed to go and you know you had to look a little deeper sometimes to to find those the reasons why but you know there was that underlying kind of feeling in your gut that you know you needed to do this one particular thing and that's it's important for for leaders as they go through their career to to be to listen to that and to, and to be mindful of that and not to be one way or the other but to, as you kind of mentioned having that good mix and and putting it all together yeah, and I think continuing to ask, to drill drill down deeper, you know, and really do the root cause problem solving. Like, well, what's kind of, what's behind that? What's what's going into that information? What are all, or that piece of data? What are all of the influencers? Because that's where you usually, that's where you find um, what's actionable. You know, usually the piece of data in and of itself isn't actionable. You have to dig a couple layers lower in order to understand, if I really want to change that, what is it that I need to know about what's, what's um, making it up right now? Well, we're almost out of time. I want to make sure we ask uh, our two very important questions. And the first one was, uh, is there a book that you've been reading or recently finished that you might suggest our, our listeners take a look at? Absolutely. Um, well, I'm, I'm usually always uh, have a book on my nightstand, and right now it happens to be one on parenting because we have we have three children, and, and, I've, and I always like to learn um, about what makes people tick and I mean, myself included, um, so that I can do a better job both, you know, at home and at work. Um, but the book that's actually related to that, that I read on a f- regular basis, is called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And um, I, I would recommend um, anyone read that. And it's, it really shares the power of beliefs that we have and the power that they that we have within ourselves to change how we react, feel, by simply choosing to believe something different. And um, it goes into two different types of mindsets um, that, that people generally fall into and then the resulting behaviors um, from having those mindsets. So it's, it's pretty interesting and it's a pretty empowering book. It helps you better understand yourself and how you can kind of self-manage, but then it also helps understand, helps me understand how other people might be thinking about things and maybe what questions I can ask them um, or encourage them to think about differently in order to um, help them. Yeah, and I love that mindset book. Um, yeah. it, it is it is sort of like this, for lack of a better phrase, it's the gateway drug to like realizing that you're not <laughs> stuck 
in whatever it is you're doing or the way you think or what have you. Absolutely. I mean, if you can get someone to my, – my experience, if I can get someone to read that book or at least even read like a summary of the book, that eight out of ten times a little light bulb goes off and they get real yeah. interested. And yeah. you can kind of see a real transformation in, in themselves and in their careers and their relationships that you know, how they think is so, so very, very important – um, it, 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 it's, it's fantastic. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you mention that book. It's a great reminder to everyone to check that one out if they haven't. It's not a, it's not, a, it's a, it's a pretty good read. It even, book is, is a bit old compared to a lot of the ones yeah. we talk about. It's not a brand new book. Mm-hmm. Um, but Carol's work is, is really, uh, kind of foundational in, 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 for anyone looking, um, to maybe make a change in what they're doing or to maybe do what they're doing a little bit better. So I really appreciate you mentioning that book today. Yeah, and she uses so many great examples of people that we're very familiar with and can relate to, which, of course, makes it, you know, an easier read and an easier easier way to, you know, apply it to our own lives. So. I, I could be wrong, but I think the original book was 1986 or something like that. I mean, I, I, this is... I don't know. I don't know. Something off the top of my head, but, you know, it's, it, it was... It was at least 20, 30 years ago. I, I believe the book was maybe first. I think there's been some some updates and variations since then. But um, I, I will tell a two-second story that I was in my yeah. – my son was a junior high a few years ago. We sat down, and the principal came on the loudspeaker to welcome us all to back to school. And she wouldn't announce how they had this brand-new book. It was going to revolutionize everything that all the teachers were reading. And, she, and I went, wow, what's this book? I'm going to check it out. She said, Mindset. And Carol Dweck, I'm like, brand-new book? This is not a brand new book. This is, it's a great book. I'm glad they're reading it. But I chuckled that it's due to her, so it was new to everyone else, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, Every, you know, those things that are good kind of come back around. They do. They always do. <laughs> Absolutely. That's All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. How can people get a hold of you or, or cars.com if they're interested in learning more about what you do or working for your company? What's the best way for them to reach out? Absolutely. You know, they can reach out to our website at cars.com and go to the careers page if they're interested in learning more about who we are as a company, what um, opportunities we have from a job standpoint. And as far as, you know, me personally, I'm chiscus at cars.com and uh, people can reach me that way or uh, on Twitter. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Glad we got it all juggled and worked out here today. And hopefully we have you come back at some point and uh, give us an update on how you're doing. That'd be great. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the show today. Hopefully you've gained something that will help your own career in a positive way. In case I forgot to mention at the top of the show, this is actually our last show of 2016. So we'll be back in the new year. We will certainly have some recap shows we'll play live uh, for the rest of the month. And you can always catch us uh, on the podcast on iTunes, iHeart, uh, TownTalkRadio.com. Uh, it's been an incredible year of guests. I want to thank everyone for tuning in, being a part of it, tweeting us. Um, it really makes it a uh, labor of love when we see the, how much everyone really appreciates it. So uh, as we continue to go forward, a really uh, best of luck for the rest of the year, and we will see you in 2017. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 